Hello, hello. Welcome to Kill the Bottle Podcast. Eddie Zamora, a.k.a. The Yum Yum Foodie. And uh, as always, uh, Senorita Megan is actually in the studio here with me today. She's she's COVID-free, I hope. I did. Um, no, she, you've been tested thoroughly. <laughs> like, thoroughly. Like, I don't know. The world doesn't have COVID tests, but Hollywood. Hollywood has COVID tests yeah. at the wazoo. Oh, I, trust me. I know. Uh, uh, <laughs> when I had to COVID test for my a super, super secret project that I'm not allowed to talk about, uh, they, you know, practically put a fucking microscope on my culo uh, to just make sure they didn't have COVID. So it was, they, yeah, Hollywood has all the they COVID have tests. All, just, if everyone's like, hey, we're, we <laughs> can't find COVID, COVID tests. tests, they're in Hollywood. Yeah, bullshit. That four per household, I think everybody in Hollywood is putting like every apartment, every like dude, they're just they're going just to all going the studios. It. Literally, <laughs> it used to just, you had to get one COVID test before filming and now they've changed it. So you get a COVID test before filming and then day of you walk in and they do a rapid test that morning and you have to wait for your results well, you know what i i've heard of of like shows being uh uh completely axed in the middle of it because everybody gets covid you know we've all heard the tom cruise rant when he went off on somebody on set yeah, because yeah. well but you know man, dude, tom cruise is an economy people forget that like tom cruise is he is he's probably a like more gross national product than you know than my home country of uh, not my home country i wasn't born there but my family's country of cuba like tom like people forget like if tom cruise doesn't work Thousands of people don't work. Yeah. So, you know, I totally respect what Buddy had to That's do. That's my goal. That's what I want to be one day. That's what you you want to be? <laughs> I don't work. Thousands of people don't work. That's the goal. <laughs> that's You've the done goal? it. That's, you know what? That's I what like I know that. I've made it. I like that fucking goal. I like that goal. Uh, speaking of goals, um, you know, I, I, I want to introduce our guest sooner than later. Uh, this this gentleman has definitely, he's definitely goal-oriented. And if, and if you... You know, if you've ever checked out whatever he's done, which I'm sure you have, uh, but even just following him on social media, you you you'll you'll be kind of motivated just watching this dude work out. Uh, you've seen him in iconic films like Avatar, Fast and Furious, Jarhead. Uh, right now, you can see him on Amazon Prime TV hit series The Boys. But I want to welcome to the show fellow Kuichi, Mr. Laz Alonso. What's up, man? What's up? What's up? What's going on? How y'all doing? Uh, dude, you know, aquí in the lucha of Pasadena, as we say, aquí en la lucha, we're 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 uh, we're doing our best to roll through uh, this 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 whole experience. It is called Kill the Bottle, and in honor of like a Kuichi being on here, uh, I'm sipping on some some Ron Santiago, uh, wow. which is my. It's kind of like my. It's probably my favorite of the OG Cuban rums. Um, you know, Ron Santiago. Cuba, I'm drinking the añejo, which Let is. Let me see the label. Yeah. So this is from from Santiago. It Cuba. says Ron Santiago. Yeah, it's Ron Santiago. That's his name. Thank you. Uh, Ron Santiago. But Ron Santiago is Ron. kind of like my I don't know. I think bang for buck. It's my favorite of the Cuban rums. Even though, given the current status of Cuba, this I was was purchased. You know, um, um, many moons ago. Uh, I was gonna say, how did you get your hands on that? But then I thought maybe that's not a good question to ask. Oh uh, no, you you can ask. <laughs> so and, I, and I'll tell you straight up. This ironically, this this bottle was purchased two years ago today. Reason being, and people are gonna know exactly when the show was filmed or recorded because uh, I was in Cabo San Lucas. I get on. I'm, I'm at the airport, and people in Mexico are like they go straight to duty free to tequila, and not, that's not what Eddie does. Eddie goes to the section of the shit that people aren't looking for, and since it's Mexico, at the time I dove right into the Cuban rum, and I got Rom Santiago for twelve bucks a bottle. Wow, I know, amazing. dude, and that was uh, that was the day Kobe Bryant uh, passed away. That's how I know Ooh. the day I bought it, because right when we're getting on the plane, everybody's phone starts going on blast. Uh, 
with the initial news. And imagine we go up in the air for two hours, come down, and then everything starts to roll out. So, yeah, that's what we got. Are you a, are you a rum drinker? Uh, I used to be more of a rum drinker. I have moved into like a whiskey, tequila. I used to also drink cognac. I don't really drink that much cognac anymore. I, I like my browns, but I also love like tequila. I mean, recently I've been doing a lot of tequilas and it seems like every actor in Hollywood now has a brand of tequila. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, why not? You know, uh, it's, it's, it's easy to drink and you can mix it with anything. You know, it's funny. Uh, something hit me today. Have yeah. you seen the new trend? The new tequila, which one? Tequila mojitos. That's oh, like I, the could, new thing now. I could throw down with that. Why not? It, it's not bad, actually. Believe it or not, it goes with the mint. So Now, are you talking, yeah. is it like the, the tequila blanco or do you throw in an añejo? The, the tequila blanco. The tequila, tequila blanco, blanco, so the pure spirit. Rum, and, uh, you know, people are putting tequila in everything now. It, it well, I mean, it, it's also like it seems like everybody, even a freaking Kardashian, has a tequila brand. So it's like everybody and their mother is they're like, you know, Jordan, uh, uh, Jordan, and, and a few NBA owners got Sincoro. You've got the freaking uh, yeah, everybody's throwing down Rock a tequila brand. One. And I'm not gonna lie, I've I you know like many people in in my age range uh, when I hit like the early 20s and I went to Cancun for the first time for spring break, I drank a bunch of that shitty Cuervo Gold. And tequila oh. was out of my system for 10 years, at least. Oh. Yeah, I know. Now that I can afford a little bit nicer stuff, forget about right. it. There's something about, like, Megan loves going to the well. What is it? I love well tequila. I have a thing. <laughs> I like to go and find the worst tequila in oh. the world. You know where oh. it is so far? I think I've talked about it. It's, in, it's on Balboa Island, California, down. In San Diego? No, it's uh, down here in um, by Huntington and... Manhattan. That's where uh, the Newport, worst tequila. By Newport, yes. There is a one bar on Balboa Island that has the worst tequila I've ever had. And that's a lot of tequila, just so you know. That's, Do you that's, drink it straight? Do you drink it on ice? Like I straight. straight, yeah. Hot. I like the pain, really. <laughs> it's kind of my thing. So yeah, you know. tequila, tequila used to be one of those drinks that you had to like close your nose to drink it and like you'd make every ugly face in the book. Now tequilas are so smooth you can barely taste. You know, yeah. Well, there was a stigma around tequila for a lot of years, and if and if you ever saw the the Jordan documentary, uh, the you know the the recent Jordan documentary that made all the headlines, where he's sitting there with a stogie and he's sipping what looks like like a whiskey or a scotch. No, he's drinking his extra añejo Sincoro tequila. In that, I found out you know after the fact that that's what Jordan is throwing down in that whole video series, and you know, I mean, Michael Jordan can drink anything in the world. Let's and right. and that's what he is like. That's what he's downing. I think I just came up with another goal. Well, what's your goal now? I want to make enough money as well to drink tequila that goes down smooth. Well, first of all, that bottle that he drinks is a thousand six hundred dollars a bottle. Lots of, so, lots of goals here today. You're yeah. Witnessing. There's a, there's a lot of goals. Gotta put it on a vision board. You know, <laughs> yeah. I will one day be able to afford a shot of Michael Jordan's tequila. <laughs> I will one day make enough money that if I don't work, no one works. And you know, and I and I had mentioned to no folks. <laughs> no one drinks. To to check you out on social media, so please jump on, check him out. It's at Laz Official, L A Z Official. And first of all, he's a meme, not like a meme master, but like you're kind of a Yoda of bad shit happening to people videos, and I fucking love them. They make me yeah, so I started, happy. I started off with the Nope series, <laughs> and uh, and that picked up fire, and it got to the point where I no longer had to uh, search the internet for horrible content, people just started DMing me nopes. Oh, yeah. I've sent them to you. <laughs> so I 
send me some notes. Like people just started becoming contributing editors to my Nope series, and it made my job a lot easier. And it all started from just being on set, being bored, kind of scrolling and seeing, you know, something ridiculous and saying, ah, you know what? I'm gonna repost this. And then people go crazy. So that that's kind of what gave birth to the idea. Now, you know, I, I mentioned that you that you make me think of somebody that's extremely goal oriented. And, uh, uh, you know, reading about you, 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 you know, from what I've read that you, you wanted to be an actor ever since you were a kid. Um, did what, what was, was there a moment? Was there a film you saw? Was there a TV show you saw? I mean, I remember seeing Miami Vice's pilot episode and that changing my life when I was a little kid. Uh, what what was it for you? If there was something, it was Rocky, man. Rocky. (sighs) Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, I liked the rags to riches aspect of it. You know, I was born uh, uh, on the other side of the tracks, very similar to what Sylvester Stallone's character, you know, uh, uh, Rocky Balboa was, you know, poor side of Washington, D.C., a very working class family, family immigrated from Cuba to the United States. And everybody basically pooled their money together and their resources so that I'd be able to go to school and so that I'd be able to get an education. And for me, it was always a dream to be able to make it and against the odds and not let the odds, no matter how big they appeared to be, um, to be able to fight and win and be able to, like, you know, lift my family up. And so that that was always my dream. Were you the first person in your family to go to school? And, and, and first of all, he went to Howard University and he's got a degree in business and marketing, which as an actor, as an entertainer, that's got to help you so much. But were you the first yeah. person in your family to, to, to go to college? I was the first person in my family to go to college. Um, now my cousin, who's much younger than I am, she's going for her doctorate degree. I didn't go that far. I got my <laughs> bachelor's. That's it. I don't need a doctorate degree to be an actor. Um, <laughs> Not but, yet. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it was when I saw that movie, you know, it was someone who I felt like he really should have never won. But the only thing he wasn't the most physically talented he wasn't the, the most, uh, he didn't have the best equipment. He didn't have the best opportunities. He was training in a, can you say shit on this show? Yes, you can. You can't say I shit, but you can it. say fuck. No, yes, of okay. course you can uh, say. Yes, and. He was training in a, a shithole gym, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and he's going up against this guy who's, you know, literally training in a state-of-the-art, you know, uh, a facility with all the bells and whistles. But what he had was heart. What he had was heart. And, and. You know, for every time he got down, he got knocked down, he was going to get back up again and he wasn't going to quit. And that's really how my mom raised me. She raised me to never be afraid, you know, to that to, that I can believe in myself and achieve whatever I want. And if you get knocked down, that's nothing wrong with that. Just get up and keep fighting, you know. And I found that to be in 90 percent of the scenarios uh, effective. And then the 10 percent that it wasn't effective, it just wasn't meant for you. You yeah. know, the things that I, I set my mind on that I thought were going to be, you know, what I needed to do and, and was going to drive me to success. I later learned, thank God it didn't happen, because had I done that, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in now. Or I wouldn't be available to do this or that. So, you know, things that you thought were supposed to be sometimes when they don't happen, you have to accept it and let it go and trust that in time you'll understand why it didn't happen when it did. Well, because timing is so much of everything, man. Like, like you see, uh, uh, some let's say some child actors, for example, who were handed a, a silver spoon at a at a at a young age, 
And, you know, yeah, that was their time, so to speak. But were they emotionally ready? Were they capable of navigating that world? And that's why you saw so many folks, you know, spiral and get out of control. Uh, I can't imagine, or I don't know how you feel, if you would have had the the like the wherewithal, the success you have now in your early 20s, how you would handle that differently than you I'm do so now. I'm so happy that I didn't. Yeah, I'm so happy that I didn't because one thing about this business is um, they like to put expiration dates on people. Yeah. And we're in an era of this business where you can write, you can produce, you can create, you can promote it yourself on, on social media. None of this existed when I was in my 20s. You know, so had I come in in the business during that era, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be in the position that I am now where I'm established enough to take advantage of these opportunities. But I'm not over overly, you know, I guess uh, exposed to the point where people are kind of like, oh, yeah, I kind of know what he can do. And, you know, we, we, we've seen enough, you know, so uh, I'm still getting opportunities to play characters that no one has seen yet. I played this. Well, I can't give it away, but I played something that no one has seen in this project that I shot last October. Right now, it's an independent film that I also mm -hmm. helped executive produce along with Abby Cornish, uh, directed by wow. Felipe Muti, oh up-and-coming director out of Brazil. But uh, it's, it's characters that no one has seen, neither her nor I play. So we're, we're kind of going against uh, what people might think our type is. Yeah. And it's always fun then to be able to, to, you know, at this stage of your career, do something fresh and new and hit people over the head. So, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and also, you know, I would assume that 99% of people do not know that you're Afro-Cuban. Um, I didn't until you, I was like, why are you speaking Spanish? What's happening? <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, responding in Spanish? I was like, um, do you understand what he's saying? I'm so sorry. Eddie's lost it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, no, but you know, I, I remember, uh, uh, starting out my career in the late nineties in New York as an actor and people wanting me to change my name. You know, my name's Eduardo Zamora. And that was at a, at a time period when, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio was like a really huge name with a lot of syllables. And I'm like, well, fuck that. No, I'm not going to change my name. You know, you're, you're Lazaro Alonso, Lazaro Alonso. Did anybody ever try to get you to, to, to kind of change that, you know, to become Laz Alo or to come, whatever, you know? <laughs> so Laz has been my nickname since probably first or second grade. Like as far back as I go, my real, my personal friends from childhood, Everybody calls me Laz. And uh, so I would say, yes, somebody did change my name. And that was the teachers that couldn't pronounce Lazaro. Yeah. That would call me Lizard, Lazardo, yep. Lorenzo, any version of an L name you can think of, they called me. Um, and that's why I went to Laz and it stayed Laz. And I've been Laz, you know, my entire life. So moving into Hollywood, I didn't have to change my name. Uh, for any reason, because it's it's pretty easy to remember. Well, it's funny. I have a Lazaro, a Cuban Lazaro in Elizabeth, New Jersey. You know, which I think every Cuban in the states has some family member in Jersey in some way, shape, or form. And he, they like it got to the point where they just call him Larry. <laughs> and everybody, every Cuban also has a family member, a family member named Lazaro, and it's somewhere in their family. Well, yeah, because it's a big saint. There's also yeah. a San Lazaro in every Cuban household with like, you know, San Lazaro, if you ever go to like a Cuban household. Well, he's got, he's the one with the dogs. He's the, the dogs. He's yeah. got crutches. He was Jesus's best friend, St. Lazarus. Oh, yeah. 
I was going to say but Lazarus also, is familiar for me. There you go. <laughs> Lazarus yeah. is the English version of... Of yeah, there Lázaro. we go. Yeah, right. And like my grandmother's yeah. house, there was a San Lázaro with a whiskey glass and a cigar next to it. Don't ask okay. me why. That was because the industry. San Lázaro like whiskey. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I like drink, this already. Drink Ron Santiago. <laughs> no, not at, not in my house growing up, dude. In my house growing up was probably some, uh, you know, some screw top Bacardi uh, that, you know, that 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 maybe when I got into my teens was filled with water after I took all the Bacardi out and indulged in that. You know, because that's how, you know, now, uh, do you consider yourself because I was a my mom's no longer with us, but I was such a huge mama's boy. And I, and I find that that's like a big, a big thing in our community. Are, are you do you fall under that same umbrella? 100 percent. I got four mothers, man. I'm, I'm one of the luckiest guys out there. My mother's three sisters. Oh, yeah. Who are my aunts. Uh, they all played a role in raising me. And my grandmother, when she was alive, you know how it is, man. Cubans raise. A, a kid as a community. Yeah. They're all entitled to beat you if you act up. You know, you can catch a chancleta thrown across the room by anyone. Flip you know, it's, it's <laughs> all, all hands on deck. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I, I was raised that way and, and I feel like I'm really blessed because I had so many different influences growing up uh, that, that, you know, kept me on the right track. You know, a young guy growing up in D.C., during the, the crack era, yeah. you know, there was a lot of mess to get into. And I'm happy that I had people that were very, very strong, domineering alpha women that weren't going to let me get out of line. And they let me know. I, I had, I couldn't sit down many a nights because, you know, they kept me in line and I, I needed that. At that era, you, you had to like rule with an iron fist because there were so many temptations, yeah. you know, to go the wrong way. And did you grow up in D.C. proper? Or were you yeah, in like Maryland, Virginia? Okay. I was in DC prop. Which is funny because I, I used to go, I used to work in the world of auto shows, traveling the US. That's how I started doing the Yum Yum Foodie uh, was I got, I got hired as a spokesperson. I traveled around the country and I would write about all the places I'll go to, all the restaurants I'll go to. And there was like only one Cuban restaurant that I found like in DC proper, right by the right. convention center. It was called like Cuba Libre or something. And you know, when, when you're, when you're of, of Cuban descent, you see a Cuban restaurant in any other place than where you live. And, you know, growing up in Miami, it's like every corner. You walk in, and I was like, there are no Cuban people in this restaurant <laughs> in D.C. And the, food was, and the food was probably not cooked by Cuban people either. No, the croquetas were tolerable, but that's it. Right. And yeah. I like, so, yeah, did, did, uh, did the did Cuban food have a huge impact in you growing up? Because, you know, 100%. Miami has all the ingredients. You can find everything. How do you navigate that 100%. shit in D.C.? No, I mean, we had, you know, at one time... D.C. was one of the hubs where Cubans went to. Okay. I grew up around a huge community of Cubans. You know, they just, over the years, they don't get replenished like they do in Miami. They start dying down, and they'll either move to Miami or they just pass away, and their kids, you know, are kind of like Americanized Cubans who, you know, they're they're Cuban on on special holidays, you know? But it's not like (laughs) what we were raised around where, you know, we had the parties and the dinners and the Noche Buena and the birthdays and everything was very, very Cuban. Um, I grew up at, at home in my home. I was Cuban. And when I went, left the home, that's when I was American. So at home, I ate 100 percent Cuban diet. You know, I drank materba and oh, the best. malta and coffee as a kid. You oh, know. yeah. Uh, it, it's just uh, I spoke Spanish, you know, like I, I was raised. Uh, speaking Spanish at home, 
Yeah. Because my family didn't want me to learn English with their Cuban accent. That's a big Cuban oh. thing, man. I wasn't allowed to speak English in my house either, even though everybody spoke English. Uh, yeah. uh, I was forced to speak. I mean, it's one of the one of the best things my family ever did because now I'm blessed and I can speak it fluently. And thank God I speak Spanish. I did a lot of Spanish commercials. It saved my ass. You know, yeah, you can go back and forth. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm trying to teach Megan Spanish, and I want to get Megan on some mateba. Uh, the only thing, mateba is this really good soda that is a Cuban soda, but it's made from mate. Um, yep. and it's delicious, but it'll give you the worst perpetual burps. Like a materba burp is something I can't begin to explain. It's yeah. some, yeah, there's something about a materba. It's kind of olive. It's, it's almost olivey a little bit. Yeah. It's, weird. it's yeah. super weird. Like I was always materba and iron beer or iromber as we call it. Iromber, right. Oh, I got to get you some of that Megs. when you're off. She's on diet right now, which is why she's like jealous of me drinking booze. She's on the whole 30. Uh, <laughs> I keep fucking with her about it yeah. because there's a whole bar of booze four behind more, her. And she four can't more days. Megan, <laughs> Megan, we're here. I'm on a diet too. Okay. We're right here. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I'm like, you. I, solidarity I you. need you. <laughs> I need the support. <laughs> this motherfucker next to me is driving me fucking nuts. <laughs> oh, this Look is so he delicious. Probably, he, he probably has a six pack. Oh, you know. Of beer in the beer? back. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, she's. I got her some Lacroix. She's, you know, she's drink. I don't know what this is. Beach plum. Beach. Plum. Oh, he's rocking some too. Yeah. Thank you know, you. I, I love. Thank they you. send me some of that stuff. I love it. I'm not gonna lie. I do love me. Uh, I, I do love me some Lacroix. Some you know, Lacroix. Listen to me. Some Lacroix. 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 Did we say Lacroix? I said Lacroix. That's okay? cool. No, that's cool. Mira. What is that called? Dyslexia. You're okay. Right? It, look, hey, Tom Cruise has done just fine with dyslexia. Yeah, I'm just all right. Sure so you know, let's, you know, proper diagnosis always serves. She used to purpose. be a. She she used to teach. Uh, I you did. Know, I home feel economics. you said teachers um, said your name wrong. I feel bad because there was there was. Well, you know what? I don't feel because if it was a cultural name. I would make an effort to really learn how to say the names. But if it was some dumb fucking parent that was like, my kid's special and her name's Michelle, but it's spelled M-A-S-C-H-E-L-L-E-S and the S is silent, that is, I couldn't do that. And I was like, your kid's going to be dumb. I'm never going to call on your kid. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Um, But no, if it was a cultural name, I definitely tried to make sure I said it right because it can be offensive. And kids actually are really good at standing up for themselves with their names nowadays. Was there a moment for you? Because I'm sorry, I keep, you know, I I have a Cubans have this kinship with one another. It's this it's this intrinsic thing that's like a generational thing that's just put on you. And I and I remember, you know, you you grew up in D.C., so very different than than where I grew up. I was surrounded by like we dominate the city of Miami. We're also you know, corruptedness in, in Cuban culture in Miami is just insane. But the first time I felt Latino in the, sen- in the sense of like, oh, shit, I'm different, is living in, in the tri-state area as an actor in the late 90s. I, I go jogging in the, the neighborhood in Jersey where I was living with family, and I get stopped by cops for jogging mm. in a pinky ring Cadillac neighborhood. Okay, Mm. and that was the first moment where I was like, oh, shit, you're 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 Latino. Uh, uh, Yeah, the melting pot is not as melted yet. You know, in this is was there a a moment for you where you had that, uh, you know, because you said when you left, you were American when you left the crib uh uh is was there something anything that happened to you that that brought it right back to you're like, oh, shit, I'm Latino now. No, man, you know, because, I mean, when I left the crib, I wasn't just American. I was African-American. 
Mm. You know, so right. in that era, you know, uh, young black men of color in D.C. were heavily, heavily uh, uh, pursued by the cops. It was it was a tough era to grow up in, especially like when I turned 16. That's when I really started like feeling that pressure of having a cop, you know, follow you. Mm-hmm. And you turn a corner, they turn a corner. You turn a corner, they turn a corner. You slow down, they slow down. You speed up, they speed up. And they're not pulling you over, but they're waiting for you to make a mistake to pull you over. And that's very, very intimidating, oh, yeah. you know, especially for a young guy. And I find I find that even now, being here in L.A., where that hasn't happened to me, but when I see a cop pull up behind me or a cop pull up next to me, I, I get that kind of you know, antsy feeling like all of a sudden I clinch up and I'm like, "Uh Oh, here we go again. And then they drive off and it's like, you know, I, I, the PTSD lives on. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, so I would say, you know, I, I felt it very, very early on. I think more than anything, um, in, in that, in that era in DC, you know, uh, they, there, there was the, it was the, uh, war on drugs. Yeah. That oh, yeah. was the, the thing that they would always talk about right. the war on drugs. And so that pretty much put a target on anyone that was young, black, and, you know, suspicious looking, which, you know, you, you didn't really have to do much right. to be considered suspicious. So for me, it, it, it didn't have anything to do with being Latino. You know, it was just by nature of, you know, the color of my skin that I realized, okay, you know what? I have to watch where I drive. I have to watch where I drive at night. And I have to, you know, it got to the point where I remember uh, when I'd see a cop, even if they didn't have the lights on, you know, when the cop has their lights and their sirens on, you pull over. Yeah. I'll just pull over and turn my car off. Yeah. Because I knew that the minute that they saw me, they'd start following me. And I didn't feel like dealing with it. So I would just sit there and they would just kind of like slow down, check me out and then drive off. And then I would turn my car back on and go. And that's kind of like how I figured out how to how to survive. You know, it's such a different it's such a different perspective to hear this stuff coming like as a white I'm like I'm straight white privilege. Like I, well, come you're transparent. From, you're like I, a guppy. Yeah, I come from a, my dad's a doctor. Like I, the, there's no struggle but to hear it, and like, I can't imagine, it just, it, does, it makes my stomach turn when I hear stories like that. I remember my father, actually, I don't know what, but there was a team called the DC Bullets at one point, right? Yeah, yeah, and Washington Bullets, I, my, yeah. I, my yep. dad, I remember I was like, what happened to this team? And he's like, it was, it's a violent area, so they changed the name um, from Bullets to Wizards, Wizards, Wizards. Yeah. which sounds more magical, it does. Yeah, and <laughs> Michael Jordan like played for the Wizards, change. not the Bullets. <laughs> Let's call yeah. it the Wizards. Um, but was there was there a fun part of DC growing up? What was your favorite part about being in DC when you were growing oh, yeah. up? Yeah, I mean DC was amazing growing up. Yeah. I mean I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, DC again, there it was. It, it's a very small city, mm-hmm. but there are probably about fifty colleges and universities all in this tiny little area between DC, Maryland, and Virginia. They call it the DMV now, but back then it was just DC, Maryland, and Virginia. And there's so many schools that it's a party town. It's a party town. Sounds like so. <laughs> if you are in your early 20s or late teens, you're gonna love it there. Mm-hmm. You know, literally every car club, every restaurant, every bar caters to young adults. Mm-hmm. So it's a great place to like 
you know, be a young adult and, and, and have a good time. I had a great time. Don't get it twisted. No, yeah. Oh, DC's you know? amazing. I had a t- I didn't like where I grew up. I would never say what you said about where oh, I grew up. Yeah. Like I would give anything to grow up. I grew up in Colorado, in Colorado Springs. Yes, sounds pretty. Got it. I wasn't fun. I did not have a great, like, I just, it wasn't. So I always like to hear the good parts of everywhere else. <laughs> well, DC, and for the folks listening, like DC is such a dope food town. Uh, like like last said, it's a party time. Like you head to Adams Morgan, or you go oh. down to jo- even jo- Georgetown area, super dope, and eat there. These little pockets within DC that oh. each one has their own vibe. Adams Morgan back in the day was all Cuban. What? That was Ala, all wow. Cuban. Hell yeah. yeah! That's why it's um, got that size, Tabrode. That's it. That's why it's yeah. got the vibe. And then it shifted to then all Dominican. And then it had an era where it was all Dominican. When I was growing up, it was all Dominican. So I grew up around Dominicans. Okay. And then it shifted again, and then it became all El Salvadorian. Wow. I was gone by then. And then it's, now it's shifted, and it's become a complete, like, melting pot hodgepodge of everything culture from Jamaican, Ethiopian, wow. uh, Latin from different countries. It's just everything. But at one time... Uh, the Adams Morgan area, Columbia Road, you know, and Mount Pleasant, that whole area was nothing but Cubans. It was like little Cuba. That's a trip. And it's funny that you mentioned that Dominicans came, you know, uh, uh, came in predominantly after. Uh, a friend of, of the show, our a frequent guest, Omar Tavares, a Dominican drummer. He he uh, he used to drum for, for Pitbull. And Omar grew up in Washington Heights, where he was born in Washington Heights, which was originally Cuban. And he told me that back then the Cubans kind of like opened the door and, uh, you know, like Dominicans, come on in. Like, you know, you're one of us. Come on in. Come into the neighborhood. And it's just ironic. I didn't know that about Adams Morgan, that it started out as Cuban. And then, you know, the the DR came in. So it must have been, must have been some good baseball players that came out of there between the Cubans and the Dominicans in yeah, Adams Morgan. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there were definitely some really great musicians. I'll tell you that. You know, like it was it was an era where you would go past a park and there would be in the park bench, you know, some guys with some congas and some tumbadoras playing. Yeah. And people just riffing, singing, you know, off the top of the dome and then people dancing. It was it was literally like watching like a Lin-Manuel Miranda movie. You know, it was it was very much that. You know, and you had like the Latin grocery stores, you had the Latin bodegas, the botanicas, like everything. Yeah. It was like little Havana. Well, it, it, it's funny because, you you know, you mentioned uh, a bit of a like a PTSD, so to speak, you know, with with uh, with the cops. Right. And, and I feel like Cubans, uh, you know, people who are second generation or first generation born in the States uh, like you and I, we get this like generational trickle down PTSD uh, from our folks, from you know, uh, from what they went through, we also get a PTSD of like salsa and rumba music. Which, if you follow Laz on on Instagram, he's always sharing like great videos of people like dancing salsa, which I love. Uh, but there's that thing where the music comes on, and we kind of don't know what to do with ourselves. Doesn't matter where we are. I always laugh because here in LA, you walk into like a Mexican restaurant, they're playing salsa music, and I'm like, that ain't Mexican music. You're playing. <laughs> you're playing some Omar Aportuondo. Like, get the fuck out of yeah. here. That's some Buena Vista Social Club. Um, is h- how do you living away from home still, like, still stay in touch with that part of your culture? 
Because it, it is hard living I'll in be LA. Honest with you. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, man. I miss it. I can't lie. I miss it. Um, I don't really feel that infused with uh, Latin culture when I'm out in LA. Yeah. Um, I don't feel that warmth, that community that I feel when I'm somewhere else. Uh, even in New York, you, it's, it's, it's hard to escape it in New York. You know, wherever you go, you feel that energy, you feel that vibe, cars pass you, you hear the music. It's not like that in LA. So LA, when it comes to um, Latin culture, uh, it, it's very difficult to find it in its truest form. I mean, even, even Mexican culture, you know, like you go to a Mexican restaurant, if you don't go to an authentic hole in the wall, like yeah. real Mexican restaurant where Mexicans go to, to eat, and the people that are cooking the food are Mexican, the people that are serving the food are Mexican, more than likely, it's more of kind of like a, an experience for non-Mexicans. Right. Yeah. You know it's the saying? Disney. So really it's gonna, like a Disney restaurant. You know? Yeah. You're not necessarily going to get like Mexican culture. You're more or less getting kind of like the, the beautiful, like, you know, gourmet uh, remix of a Mexican dish. Yeah. You know, so uh, that I, I do miss it. I do miss it. And I find that like the 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 older I get, the more I want to be around it more. Like it used to be where yeah. I could just go get my fix and come back. Now it's more important to me to be uh, surrounded by people that look like me, that sound like me, that like the same music that I do, that like the same foods that I do, that are loud like me, you know, different different things that, you know, really make me feel at home. Uh, mean a lot more now than they once did. Yeah, like I, I feel sorry sometimes for for Megan because I'm like so in touch with, and it's 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 been a process for me moving away from home for uh, you know 16 years now. Uh, here here in LA, it's it's like if somebody's Cuban, if somebody's Latino, I want them on. I want them to come on the show and talk with us. I I always want to support uh anything that has to do with with cuban culture whether it's uh i did some live videos with some some fucking people in havana who risked uh uh who risked going going on instagram with me and talking about what's happening in the in in la Habana in oh, cuba since july yeah so yeah wow. since since julio and i feel like i, I like, what am i supposed to do i know I like can't what is Megan go out supposed to the street and be like hey white person Come on the show. No, I know. No, I know, man. But hey, are you German? All white people. Oh. I'm doing everything. I really <laughs> want to get Eddie in touch with the... Cubans. I'm looking for white people. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's they're not hard to find, clearly. Um, but it's not, I can't go like, hey, Germans, like, are you German? Like, I think my issue is, this sounds like therapy now. My issue is I didn't grow up with culture. There is, there was no culture. We didn't have a family dish. We didn't get together with like a big group of people. We didn't have traditions. I had mm. zero culture. And maybe that's, now that I'm thinking about it, you just solved why I didn't like my childhood. Because there was a lack of closeness with people. There was a lack of yeah. closeness with culture. So I think in my adulthood and meeting people like Eddie or meeting people like you, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. And maybe that's why we bond because I'm just always just e examining and seeing like, what? How? Why? I didn't do that, so it's definitely Your parents didn't want you to they, leave when you turned 18? They didn't what want is me. This? <laughs> I mean, culture, culture, I feel like, breaks down so many barriers. Mm -hmm. You know, like, if Eddie and I didn't know that we were Cuban, uh, we would probably walk by each other on the street and never suspect it. 
But the fact that we met and we identified each other as Cuban, we knew we were Cuban, we already knew before anything that we probably had more in common that we had different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and we could probably sit here and talk for the next hour about those commonalities without even without even figuring out that we have differences in any way, because that's how that's how important community and culture is. I love you that. You know, so focusing I, on I, I put, yeah, I put so much importance on that. And to me, it's like it's 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 very, very a pillar of my life. Focus on the commonalities. That's exactly, it's, that's such a huge thing. Focus on the commonalities you have with people rather than the differences. Well, it's well, funny. It's always kind of been the case though, right? Like, you know, when you, you meet hope. someone, you kind of like, yeah, I mean, it, it used to be that way where before there was social media, I feel like people would talk, people would meet and they would try to figure each other out. Like, what do you like? Oh, I like that too. How about this? Oh, I like that too. And then next thing you know, you're friends because you figured out, okay, out of this list of 10 things, eight of the things we have in common. Yeah. So we're going to be friends now. You know, whereas now we're, we're, we're relegated to these kind of little bite-sized portions of people yeah. where one tweet or one post could paint a picture of a person and you ignore those other eight things that you have in common. You know, and, and I feel like to a certain degree, we're missing out. You know, like it's not really social media. It's kind of anti-social media. Yeah. You know, because it's creating it's it's like you're looking for, you know, where are we different? Yeah. You know, ah, there it is. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. All right. I don't like you. Unfollow. You know, so it's 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 tough. I, 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 I'm kind of turned off by it. And uh, that's why, Eddie, I prefer to just post notes. Yeah. You know, and, and, and my crazy stuff, because I feel like that's something that everyone can relate to. You know, everybody can relate well, to, you know, like it, 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 it made dude. I, I like and Megan's heard me say I shit you not a million times, but I, I shit you not. I will be, you know, shitting on the toilet going through those nopes. And thanks for the face, Megan. Uh, no but, you know, know. I'm, I'm all about honesty. Yeah. I'm all about honesty. You just say you're going and, through them. Christ. And I will hear the, I, 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 the shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the, you know, they, they do. <laughs> they make me happy because it, like and I'm always, you, you know, and I'm, I'm 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 saying a little bit more than I normally would. But I, I like I'll DM last and I'll be like. Uh, somebody will do something stupid, and I'll be like, "Qué clase de come mierda," or you know, I'll, I'll just basically call somebody a complete fucking moron or a shit eater, and he gets me completely because he's Cuban. But it's uh, it makes me smile that uh, you know that you do that because not everybody does it. Some people take themselves so damn seriously, and we already know that you're an artist. We get that, um, but it's good to see another facet of somebody through social media. That's the tool. That 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 lets you see that you have again more in common than you have apart, and yeah. I think that has a lot to do with something as silly as your nopes <laughs> on 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 Instagram. Well, one thing I wanted to touch on is and 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 I think it made me it made me love you more. And uh, it was when we 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 touched on it briefly. You know what happened in Cuba in July and the SOS Cuba movement. Um, you know, there's a lot. Of 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 Cubans in entertainment, whether they're writers, actors, producers, there's more Cubans than you think there are, and um, you know I can probably count on both my hands the amount of of high profile, and I consider you a high profile Cuban, uh, who 
who spoke and, and was courageous with that. Because from my experience, just sharing SOS Cube on my social media, uh, Instagram started hiding my posts. Instagram yeah. started like, you know, I, I saw it. I felt it in that community. And oh, I want to commend you for doing that. What Was there something in particular that sparked that activism, you know, or, or an essence of uh, it? Yeah, I mean, more than anything, and I, and I never want to claim the title activist. Um, I fight it tooth and nail, mostly because I feel like it's a disrespect to the people that are on the ground that are truly fighting day and night. Mm -hmm. You know, like me making a post uh, is nowhere near what they're living through on a day to day basis. Absolutely. You know, so I consider that activism because they're actually active. They don't have a choice. Nope. I have a choice not to be active. I can say, you know what? Today, I'm not going to talk about Cuba. And it's not going to affect my life one bit. I feel like the activists are the people that, whether they talk about it or not, it's affecting them. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, I, I never use, I never like to uh, use that word for that reason. Um, for me, it was more than anything, uh, seeing what was happening. And there were so many pleads and cries for help from the island, and I was reposting, 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 and everyone who was reaching back to me was saying, what are they saying? What are they saying? Yeah. Like, I can tell they're in distress, right. but I don't know what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so I said, there's a, there's, a, there's a language barrier here that's lost in translation. Mm -hmm. No matter how much they scream and yell, my audience has no clue what they're screaming and yelling about. And I do know what they're screaming and yelling about. And I felt like I had to step in and translate and be the translator. And then I also felt like at the moment, uh, the Cuban uh, regime, the Castro regime has had 60 years of misinformation and disinformation. They had a head start where yeah. they have lied and presented themselves as these victims of the United States embargo, that they're such victims that they want to help their people, but they can't because the embargo and all this stuff. And I felt like it was important that people know from Cubans, mm -hmm. not from news, not from this person told me that person, no, from actual Cubans who have family there, who live there, what exactly is really going on Yeah, and what has been going on and how this 60 years of this song and dance that the United States embargo is the reason why people are suffering is one big, huge lie. Yep. Absolutely. And this is Some why bullshit. it's a lie. Yeah. I mean, today I saw a post where uh, the current president of Cuba uh, was crying about how tourism has gone down and they're hurting for tourism and how, uh, Remesas, which basically mm -hmm. means Cubans here that send money to Cubans on the island so My that family. they can survive. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that if you send a dollar to Cuba to help someone be able to buy a Pampers or a loaf of bread, the Cuban government is taking more than half that dollar. 60 cents is going in the Cuban dollar in the Cuban government's pocket and yep. 40 cents is going to your, to your relative. You know, so because Cubans here have finally said, we're not sending any more money to the island. Because we're supporting that regime and nobody's going to go as tourists anymore because the truth has come out. We realize that they are oppressing people and they're abusing people. 
And so now they're hurting. And, and, and so now it used to be the embargo. Now it's nobody's coming as tourists. Now that now the lack of tourism is, is the big, bad, you know, evil wolf. You know, so it's always someone else to blame. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really good uh, finger pointers. Yeah, they're, they're always finger pointing. It's like, how about you guys? How about you had 60 years to figure this thing out and you still haven't? Whose fault is that? Yep. You know, so uh, I, I felt that that I had to stand up at that point and not be silent and not be in the background and actually translate what these people were crying about. Most of them were crying for their lives. Mm-hmm. And many of them uh, have either lost their lives since then or are still in jail yeah. simply for protest. Ha- have these you people, have you been to the island? I have been to the island. Yeah, so I, I've, I've, I've been a couple times for work and, you know, the, 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 the amount of tears, uh, I want to say my mom passing is the most tears I've ever shed. Uh, the second highest amount of tears I've ever shed was being on a cruise ship and seeing Havana in the distance for the first time, you know, sunrise, seeing the, the, um, and, and I'm just speaking from my experience, uh, it, it you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I want to find out what yours was. So, you know, growing up in South Florida, I have this image of what Cuba is. I have an image of that's been presented to me of what it's like on the island, right? And then, but at the same time, my identity is still, I don't know my identity. Because, yeah, I'm surrounded by Cubans, but that's still not, I'm not in Cuba. I haven't set foot on the land, you know? Wow. My, the closest thing to it was going to to Spain and seeing La Viejitas in Barcelona walking around tomando café. And I was like, oh my God, we're just like them. Like that was right. the closest thing that made me connect to to, and then you know, in my 30s, I go to Cuba for the first time, and I'm on the island, and I see the people, and I feel it, and the tear, like I'm 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 starting to tear up now just thinking about it. Uh, what did that do for you and your identity as as an Afro-Cuban American? Well, I mean, for me, uh, it made me finally feel connected to something. Like mm-hmm. I, I agree with you is. Uh, even though I had this Cuban community around me growing up, um, it still felt like we were like on an island. Yeah. Like all of us were on an island because outside of that community, no one else was like us. No one else listened to the same music. No one else danced like us, drank or ate the same things that we did. We kind of had a little kind of, you know, a little pocket of community. Um, So going to Cuba where the entire island were Everyone spoke the same way, the same language, drank, ate the same things, you know, expressed themselves the same way, had the same slang. You know, that really made me feel a part of something that made me feel rooted in something. But it also highlighted how much of uh, we have been ripped apart Mm -hmm. because of politics. You know, the Cubans on the islands and the Cubans, you know, here basically have this distance between them because of this stupid political divide, because of this stupid government, you know, and and they created that. They designed it that way. Absolutely. Because anyone who speaks up against them, they get them out. They get them off the island. They don't want anything. Yeah, they don't want anybody on the island that's going to speak out against them. You know, so all the Cubans that are here... (laughs) Are the ones that turned up when they were there, and they're like, no, 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 oh, yeah. no, no, thank you. You know, uh, you, know? you know, many people saw Scarface, and yeah, of course, in 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 the Mario Boatlift, they they emptied the maximum security prisons and mixed them in with you know with the with the with people. the folks who with the fixed yeah. folks who were leaving. 
But it was really like, well, shit, if you're going to speak up against us and you want to be here, peace, get out. But there have been, but there have been, Marielle is the only one that kind of gets, because of the movie, mm-hmm. it gets the most hype. But there were many boat lifts. Mm-hmm. There were many boat lifts, not just Marielle. There have been thousands that have come, you know, on rafts, you know, oh, yeah. risking their lives. There have been more Cubans that have died in the ocean trying to get to the States than Cubans that actually made it here, which mm-hmm. is insane. It's a human rights crisis and violation. And it also really opened my eyes, you know, to the UN, um, to their inactivity, to their inability to call a spade a spade and to yeah. say, this is a dictatorship. What's happening is a human rights violation. They are wrong. And in the face of what's right and wrong, what they are doing to human beings is wrong. It, it really opened my eyes. I, I was, I guess, before July 11th, I, I somehow thought that there was a little more fairness in the world. In spite of everything that I've learned in history, which obviously history teaches us, there is no fairness. <laughs> but, right, yeah. You know, you still kind of have hope. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it just reminded me that, you know what, there is no fairness. <laughs> you know, there, there, is, there's, there is no fairness. You just got to hope that, you know, uh, times eventually change. Well, you know, and 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 coming from a, a an actor's perspective here in LA, and obviously I don't I don't act anymore. I, I do different things. But when I was in that world, there's a lot of interesting conversations to have because you know the it, 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 there's an essence of Hollywood loving Castro. Uh, uh, they romanticize Che Guevara. And and as as a you know a Cuban American, there were a lot of challenging conversations I had to have that I was just compelled to have. And then at the same time, like shit, man, I gotta work. So sometimes I just gotta shut the fuck up. And and it's this well, people don't realize know, it's, mean, it's a challenge. Yeah, again, you know, they had a sixty year head start. Right. Because let's you know, one thing that I tell people all the time is that the Cubans that are now speaking up, this is the first time ever mm-hmm. that Cubans have spoke up so publicly because even the Cubans that are here in the States couldn't speak up because they didn't want their relatives back home to get punished for what they're saying here in the States. Exactly. So it was this psychological game that that the government in Cuba played with Cubans, even exiles, where... You can leave, but don't you dare speak against the government because if you have a mother or a grandmother or an aunt or a cousin or a sister or a brother back home, they're going to pay for what you say. It's the mafia. It's like turning state's evidence. Like, hey, if you flip states, get ready. Your kids are going to be cinder block feet thrown in the Hudson. You know what I mean? It's it's the same shit. So what? So so it's very it's very hard to blame people here for believing the propaganda that has been masterfully, you know, disseminated. That's one thing they're good the at. 60 year, it was 60 year head start. Finally, Cubans in Cuba and Cubans here are saying no more. We're not going to, we're not going to shut up in fear for what they might do to our relatives. We're going to speak up and we're going to tell what the truth and we're going to tell what's happening regardless of what might happen. That hasn't happened. No. Before. You know, so this is a new era. It's a new wave. And I feel that people now are very quickly learning how crappy 
the situation there is and that it is a dictatorship and that Fidel Castro was a dictator and that Che Guevara was a murderer mm -hmm. and that they were all a bunch of racists. Yep. Bro. I, I, I don't mean to, like, I, I used to work at the Standard Hotel, which, you know, rest in peace, Standard Hotel, but I used to work at the Standard on Sunset. It was one of my first jobs here in L.A. And I almost got fired one day. Reason being is a gentleman walked in, and I say gentleman, uh, a, a guy walks in, and I'm working at the restaurant, you know. Happy face at the restaurant. It's morning shift, man. I'm just trying to I make as much. There. I used to love that place. For oh, breakfast. it was it fucking great. great. I was just like, make as much Cuban coffee. Well, I made Cuban coffee because I would just, you know, it's espresso. It's, yeah, it's sugar with espresso. It Let's be honest. And and a buddy walks in with, you know, at the time, it was probably like a $20,000 gold Rolex and the biggest Che Guevara tattoo on his forearm. Like the biggest I've ever seen. And that's one well, of those he's moments. He's not going to be able to take the Che Guevara tattoo off because he's coming in. I, 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 like, I, I can't. You don't understand. Like every moment. You got to of... give the guy a break. It's a tattoo, bro. <laughs> Hold on, bro. Hold on. This is the best. This is my part. This is me being like the kid from Miami who opens oh. his mouth too much. So right. I serve the guy. And then finally in the middle of I just can't take it anymore. And I go, yeah. So, you know, this is this. This is this. But I'm, I'm going to need your watch. And he looks at me with his fucking face of disdain. And I go, no, no, no. You don't understand. That tattoo, your watch belongs to the people now. Buddy got up. All the veins on his fucking forehead came out. And I was like, I'm going to die here. Hmm. on this." And it's not from a drug overdose like everybody else on the Sunset Strip. No, it's going to be some guy kicks my ass for being an obnoxious Cuban who just can't. Like, I couldn't. I was like, I was like, my mom is turning in her grave right now because I don't say something. Uh, so it, it, as as somebody on on my end watching you, it is, it it is really I, I I get touched, moved, and inspired because yes, I know you're not on the island. I know that those are the people that are suffering, but at the end of the day, it does take a certain level of oomph to be okay with speaking your mind and saying who you are. And that's what our parents sacrificed so that you and I could be here and speak our mind. But yet, many people don't do it. So I really want to acknowledge you for that. And it doesn't go on on, on deaf ears. It doesn't fall on deaf ears as as part of the diaspora here living, you know, living in the U.S. Uh, and you, I consider myself, that. even though I'm an American, through and through. Yeah. But I can't deny my last name and who I am. And it, it is... Like I, I get so touched by it for real. It, it means it means the world to me because well, it's part of your identity. It's part of our identity, and people weren't doing that twenty, thirty. Like you know, you had Andy Garcia, you had Gloria Stefan that were that were talking about things, but not everybody was doing it. And there's wow. an influx. There's you know, there's a. I say Rosario Dawson just because I I saw her on Dope Sick recently. I finished that series, and you know, she's in in the back of my mind, and she's Cuban as well. Um, but it's it's great. To see people being okay um, with not everybody being okay with what they're saying, right? So yeah. I, I like I, I just wanted to acknowledge you for that before you know before you, we man. say goodbye or anything like that. I didn't want to let that slip and forget because it's uh I turned my dad on to you, my old Cuban dad in wow. Miami. I got him wow. watching The Boys. Oh God, I did. Nice. I got my dad. My dad understand. My dad, a you violent know, show. Can you my, handle it? It be a whole. It be a whole. Oh, let's not. Hmm. Oh. But so my violent. dad, my dad was hiding, my dad was hiding machine guns 
for uh, uh, for people in Cuba in the 1950s who were going to try to overthrow the government. Oh, so, so he can he can handle it. My dad can fucking handle it. My he's, dad he's was one the, he's one of the OG boys. My dad is OG, but my dad is like it's funny because he tells me and he goes, "Bobby, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll translate." He goes, "Bobby, yo estaba loco para la venga." He is like it's it's porque tenía 18 años and you do stupid shit. It's like my that my dad was just basically saying he's crazy because he was 18 years old and doing stupid shit because they would have put him in a firing squad had they found he's, out that my dad was doing that like like no no trial no nothing firing squad even if they thought that he was doing that yeah. like firing squad dead uh so or I, hung or hung they used to just hang people like Che Guevara would just hang people in the middle of town like it was the Wild Wild West. Yeah, Buddy would get turned. He would get turned on by a mom complaining. Like if a mom right. would come and beg him to free her son, he would turn around and have the son hung, firing squad, like right away. That was like his thing. He was known for that. Um, so your dad is watching. And speaking of overthrowing people who are in charge or have a lot of power, um, season three is coming out in June of the Oof, boys. No. Ah! Yeah. And we're very so you'll excited. be able to see what uh, you know what we've been up to. We shot season three last year during the pandemic. Uh, we were in Canada filming from January all the way to September, and uh, it was rough because you know Canada was on lockdown when we started yeah. filming. Um, they wouldn't let us travel. They had all these insane, insanely strict restrictions. You know, I mean, thank God they let us film there, but it was tough. It wasn't easy. But I think it really it really made us all as a cast unite and get closer. And it also made us focus so much on the work because that's all we really had um, that it's a very special season. It's, I, I, everyone, it's, everyone as of night right now says it's our best yet. Oh, my God. I'm not, I, I love the show. I love the cast of the show. I think it's just the, you know, it's like you can't have a team of of five Michael Jordans that doesn't work in the NBA. You need a center. You need, and it, and it feels like there's this great balance within the cast uh, of, of, of just like vibe between all of you. Um, and I was a huge fan of the show Banshee. So, mm. uh, you know, when I, when I saw him, he was the initial person who got me to watch the boys. Wow. That's dope. Because I, I loved the show Banshee. That show I thought was fucking bomb. And I right. plowed through that show, and I was lucky enough to find out about it after it was all out so I can watch everything all at once. You know, that was kind of the vibe. And, and for the folks, for the folks uh, uh, listening at home, uh, I love the, the like, anti-superhero vibe. It makes me so happy that superheroes are not perfect. <laughs> it's just right. like, it's just, you know, because I'm like, fuck, you know, at some point I want to see the imperfections. And and I think that that show kind of brings that to the surface, but in a really smart way. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask you, so you, you, you know, you did, you did the movie Avatar and then you worked on the film Detroit. And the, the reason I mentioned those two is because it's like ex-husband, ex-wife. You work with James Cameron. And then you work with Catherine Bigelow, uh, who right. who uh, also you know known for the Hurt Locker, great film. Um, did so the Hurt Locker? The Hurt Locker beat us out of the Oscar. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. That's right. We were up for you know Best Picture, and so was Hurt Locker, and she won. Fucking Jeremy Renner. No, I'm just kidding. Isn't uh, that crazy? I, I love me some Jeremy Renner too. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. But buddy, buddy can throw down. Did. 
did those two film like did did do you know did Catherine see see heard you know hear about you in Avatar? Did anything? Because I've met James Cameron. He's fucking intimidating as shit, man. Uh, he's just one of those dudes who's very intense, yeah. very meticulous. I love that about his films. The attention to detail. I can imagine yeah. that's something as an actor you pull back and you're like, oh shit! If I ever produce a film or direct a film, I can really take from that. I love it. I love it. He's the perfect person for that type of film because in world building, you have to know exactly everything, and James knows every blade of grass on Pandora. Wow, that's crazy, you know, man! Literally, he can tell. You know, I, I I remember one time around. You know, I was supposed to be on set. I think my call time was six. I got there early. I walked. Uh, on the stage around 5.30 and he was sitting there by himself looking through a big, huge orange Home Depot tub of rocks. And he had one tub filled with rocks and one tub that was empty and he was just pulling rocks from one tub to the next. And the tub that he was pulling, putting rocks into was the no pot. Why, wow. why yeah. these rocks would not work for a part of the world that they were going to create on the computer, not in real life, right. on the computer, but they used things as models to kind of simulate so that they could get an idea. And when the prop guy came and he said, Hey man, how are those rocks? You know, and Jim basically said, none of them work. And then he explained to the guy in very meticulous detail, the humidity, the environment, the weather, the type of animal that is, lives on those rocks, what their claws look like, how they grapple on the rocks. He showed him, he had like, you know, pictures of the animal and these smooth rocks, they don't have any place for this animal to be able to, to grab onto. They'd slip right off and fall in the ocean. And so he broke it down. He's like, it has to be a porous rock. It has to be one with holes big enough for these claws. This is how big the claws are. And like all of that lived in his head. God, but it taught me, you know, it really elevated the, my responsibility as an actor in that movie, because I was like, there is so much level of detail that this man has in this world that he has created that I have to add to that. You know, I can't take away and I have to live in the same level of detail that he lives in because we're living on the same planet for these 18 months that we're shooting this film. You know, so he he gained a tremendous amount of respect for me uh, during that film. And Catherine Bigelow is equally as detail oriented, just completely different styles, man. They're completely different styles of of directing. Catherine Bigelow shoots like she's shooting a documentary, you know, like every single take, the camera's going to be in a different place. You never know where the camera's going to be every take. You don't know how many cameras she's shooting you with. You know, you don't know what angle she's shooting. You never know if you're in a close-up, in a medium shot, in a wide shot. She just shoots. I mean, I, I kind of love that because, like, it doesn't – at the end of the day, if, like, let's say you're super into vanity. You're not worried about your fucking close-up because guess what? It doesn't fucking matter. She's shooting from all these no. different – just do your thing. That's it. Do your thing. Live in the moment. Be free. You're not acting for the camera because you don't know where it is in the first place. Yeah. So, so you're just behaving the way you would in normal life. You're not cheating for a camera. You're not cheating your body so that they get the most, you know, nothing. You're not, there's no technique, you know, it's just real life uh, living. And I think that's why her films feel the way they do. They have a certain feel that almost feels like a documentary, like she's capturing real life. And that's because she's allowing people just to be. 
is, is there and I know I want to start wrapping this up but is is there a dream character uh for you is there is there that one you know biographical historical character that that you you dream to to play you know that you're like I could fucking rock it I, 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 I don't I don't know if I if I'm can make this happen in time while I still have a little bit of youth left in me, but Antonio Maceo would be a dope, dope character. Yeah, yeah. I would love to play. I'd probably have to wear some six-inch boots because the guy was like six seven. But uh, Megan, uh, Antonio Maceo was uh, this uh, black freedom fighter, freed slave from Cuba that um, basically became a colonel in the Cuban army. He was liberated to help fight the Spaniards um, uh, basically the same way that we had the Revolutionary War here against the British because of taxes and all that. The same thing happened in Cuba against the Spaniards. Um, But uh, the landowners in Cuba at the time realized that they they couldn't kick the Spaniards out because it was only a a handful of them. But what they did have was a ton of slaves. Mm. (laughs) Now, how do we get these slaves to fight with us, to unite with us, to kick these Spaniards off the island, we got to free them. So they're fighting for their freedom, you know, and that was pretty much, you know, the beginning of the end of slavery in Cuba was when they freed all the slaves and then the slave owners and the slaves fought on the same side to kick the Spaniards, but they didn't have muskets. They didn't have gunpowder. All they had was machetes. Oh my god. <laughs> Which is and the this, Cuban like security device. If you're growing up as a Cuban kid, you have a machete. And this guy, this 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 freedom fighter, he was so scary. They called him the Bronze Titan. He was six seven and he fought on top of a horse with two machetes, one in each arm. Jesus. It was like Braveheart. Yeah. Yeah, for it's, real. I was just going to say. It was like Braveheart. This is a story. When he would come, when he would come charging yeah. into battle and they'd see both machetes up in the air, Spaniards would drop their muskets and run in the other direction. They didn't care that they had bullets because they said the bullets wouldn't hit them. Oh, my gosh. And they would literally be firing in his direction and he wouldn't get hit. It was like he had some mystical protection that wouldn't allow him to get hit. You should direct and star in that movie. That's what you should be be, doing. That would be a dream. I mean, who knows? Maybe that sounds like the most amazing. Like, and like, what a what a appropriate for timing wise. I mean, yeah, let's get on that. Like, seriously, wow. That that would probably be you know something that I think I would. Oh yeah, because it's historically relevant as well as yes. You know, it's a very passion filled story. And his mother, his mother. Um, Maria Gra- Gravales, I believe her last name was, she's, you know, considered the patron, not the patron mother of Cuba, but kind of like Cuba's unofficial, you know, queen mother. Mm-hmm. Because she sent all her sons into battle to fight for Cuban liberation, and they were all killed. Oh, my wow. God. And she said, if, she said, if none of them come back, I'll grab a machete and I'll finish what they didn't finish. Oh, my God. That so is, that's, the kind of, that's a Cuban yeah, mother right there. How tall are you? I'm six feet. Oh, you're close enough. You can do it. I need, I need some Prince. I need some Prince heels. Uh, you need some Prince heels. heels. The thing is, like, I look, I'd, I'd look like a Make a Wish kid next to you because I'm five foot six. Um, <laughs> but you know, like, besides you, Jose Canseco and Fidel Castro, there's like no tall Cubans. Let's just, you know, <laughs> let's take William Levy. William oh. Levy's taller than me. 
William, Le- but he's just thinner than you, so you still look well, like William you could. William Levy's f- tall, man. William Levy's like six three. He's oh, like six two. Yeah, six, three. but you could still fuck him up, dude. You you got a linebacker build, bro. You can fuck him up. Bro, uh, w- William Levy's a sweetheart. Man. He's a. Su- <laughs> I've been on a plane with him. No, 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 absolutely. But he's just thinner. He's a soap opera guy. He you got to be thin. You know, Mr. Abs, man. Yeah, hey, listen, <laughs> Mr. Abs. Buddy, he, by the way, he can ball. I, saw, I went to the All-Star game in Miami, baseball All-Star game, and he played in the uh, he played baseball, you know, as a kid in high school. And the buddy can yeah. throw, he can swing, dude. He hit like two or three home runs in the celebrity softball game, and I was like, bro, look at the swing on Levy. No, Levy, Levy is Levy was a semi-pro baseball player. Don't get it twisted. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. like, yeah, buddy, like, that was an unfair advantage. Ah. And his son is amazing too. His son's very good baseball. Player. So you know, lastly, before we let you go, uh, you're you yeah. know you're from DC. You can't use home as the option, but you've got a 24-hour layover in DC. You got your breakfast, lunch, dinner. I'll let you I'll let you throw a cocktail somewhere or a dessert somewhere else. Where are you going? Going? I'm going home, bro. If I'm in DC. <laughs> I'll, you, I'll, I'll, all right, all right. So besides DC, I'm you're in LA. All right, okay, all right, all right. That's fine. You, like the smell of frijoles are always gonna lure your home. They're like the Pied Piper of, of Cubans. You smell frijoles, yeah, you go. Yeah, that's okay. unfair. That's an unfair event. Okay, in, in LA. You're home away from home. Where where are you going? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's tough. It's tough. Um, you know what? There's a salsa club here called El Floridita. Oh, yeah. And everyone goes to El Floridita for the music because they have live music. They have live bands. Mm-hmm. Um, Monday nights is off the chain. It's great. You know, it's, it's a blast. But... They're not known for their Cuban food, but their Cuban food is actually really, really good. It is. Yeah, it is solid. Cuban food is actually good. It's authentic. It's delicious. And I was shocked because I felt like, you know, finding a good Cuban, real Cuban authentic dish in L.A. is like looking for, you know, a grain of pebble in a, in, 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 in a desert, you know. But uh, El Floridita has some some really good Cuban food, so I would say El Floridita. And you can listen to some music and dance with some beautiful women. Yeah, that's that, yeah, it's not too shabby. And they got good they got good mojitos too. I mean, they got great drinks, rum and cokes, mojitos. They got everything. Do they have single guys. Yeah, they're there. Yes, I'm in. Y'all, Megan, I'll teach you how to dance salsa. I can dance, fool. Why do you assume salsa? I can dance salsa. Why do you assume I can't? Because you're transparent like a guppy. Yeah, whatever. Uh. Laz, I sincerely, I, I end every show the same way. And uh, the only thing we don't get back in life is time. And I want to thank you sincerely so much from Un Cuanito from Miami. Thank you for spending a little time with Megan and I. Uh, for our audience, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us here on Kill the Bottle. Please follow at Laz Official on social. Like, give, give Laz some love. You will not be disappointed. Uh, check out. Well, in June, but check out season one and two of The Boys right now on Amazon Prime. I cannot wait until June. If you June. haven't seen it, just watch it's the first episode. You won't be able to stop. Like, oh, no, ten minutes like, in, I was like, I shit my pants. Like, and I never say that. Yes. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> that's how. That's what you're in. It is. It is. That's what you're fucking in for. It is show. a show. And and Les, what what's next for Les? Uh I want to create, man. Yeah, I want to be in the in the creator seat. Uh, I'm inspired. Uh, I see so much amazing television happening, you know, so I want to pull from my brain and and write and 
produce and create some cool stuff. Uh, another show that Megan is going to shit her pants. Like that. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Right? Well, that's why diapers, adult diapers exist. Pants, that's a success for me. If well, you need any white girl extras in your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> She's COVID tested. Let me know. Uh, there you go. No, again, it means the world to me. Thank you so much for your time, Laz. Uh, keep on, bro. Keep on, like, pushing, Thanks doing your thing. Me. No, yeah, dude. It was a pleasure. That was so uh, much fun. Uh, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm going to tell him something. It, it's, the irony is, do, does the name Versus and Flow rings, ring a bell to you? Of course. So, when I mentioned I worked as an auto show product specialist traveling the country, Buddy right here was the quasi-brown dude that would get hired to work the Versus and Flow events in L.A. So, I used to see you do your thing while working, and I'll give them some love, Walton Isaacson, uh, working with, like, Don and all these beautiful human beings that I'm still friends with. Yes, and it's, like, just beautiful humans. And, uh, and you know, it didn't hit me. I, no joke. It didn't hit me till like yesterday. I was like, Oh shit, wait a second. Cause it's been a minute. Um, and Laz hosted this great live show, uh, with music and everything. Anyway, from in retrospect, I remember seeing you work and just getting nothing but the best, best vibes. And I wish you, we wish you the best vibes, uh, Thank you. from, from us and bro, go work out, please. Yeah. Uh, you need, you know, Me I know too. you finished season three, but bro, we need to keep you jacked. I gotta stay jacked, bro. <laughs> I gotta stay. I'm about to go get jacked right now. Yeah. Gotta go. Yay. Gotta go get jacked. And bro, when when the time comes, uh, you know, no social media, I wanna break bread with you and invite you to some sandwich cubano, maybe un tabaquito, you know, un Damn. purito. Uh, Let's do it. Dude, te quiero, un abrazo. And uh, for All my right. Cubichis in Miami, Laz Alonso, a Cuban to be proud of. Uh, Kill the Bottle Podcast, like, subscribe, give us a rating, a review. You know, keep Megan employed. Keep her from not having a dirty OnlyFans account. Um, (laughs) uh, Thank you, Lazaro. Have a yeah, yeah. Get out. Peace. All right. Thank Thank you, bro. Thank you.